living by faith. Yes, living by faith in Jesus above. In Jesus above. Trusting, confiding. Trusting, confiding in His great love. Yes, in His great love. From all harm, safe. His sheltering arm. His sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith, yes, living by faith in Jesus above. In Jesus above, trusting, confiding, confiding in His great love. Yes, in His great love, from all harm Sheltering arm, sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Feel no alarm. Our Lord will return to this earth some sweet day. Our troubles will then all be whole. The Master will gently lead us away beyond that blessed heavenly shore. Living by faith, yes, living by faith in Jesus above. In Jesus above, trusting, confiding, confiding in His great love. Yes, in His great love, from all harm safe. His sheltering arm, His sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Feel no. that ending. I tell you, it's like a barbershop quartet, amen? I like that. I, I don't know. That's pretty cool. Good harmony there, though. Boy, those guys blending so well. Well, again, we're glad you're here, and boy, I tell you, it's so good to just see you here. And um, I, I tell you, we've been in our Philippians, uh, in the book of Philippians now for a while, and we've been dealing with this issue of why rejoice. And of course, the book of Philippians is a tremendous book when it comes to that issue. And of course, we know that Paul and Silas had come to Philippi, and we know that they had uh, just uh, made a tremendous impact in that area, so much so that Paul, he began a relationship with the Philippians that would continue on for years to come. Matter of fact, they supported him, they encouraged him, and they would share gifts with him from time to time, just as their, uh, a, a token of their appreciation for what he had done for them. We know that they lost track of the Apostle Paul for a couple years, and they lost track of him when he went to Rome. He ends up in a, uh, uh, a situation where he's uh, uh, in prison, if you will, and now uh, finally they recognize, realize where he's at, and they send their pastor with a gift to, to say, listen, we haven't forgotten about you. We still appreciate you, and we certainly appreciate all that you've done on our behalf as a church and even as individuals. And so he goes there with that gift, and while he's there, Paul the Apostle writes the book of Philippians. And uh, <clears throat> he writes it as a letter to them, and he sends it back with their pastor. And so we have the book of Philippians, and we said, boy, what a wonderful book it is when you consider how it just encourages us in this area of rejoicing. And yet, may I remind you again that 
The Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi both knew what difficulties were, what trouble was. Although we go to the book of Philippians in order to be encouraged as far as why rejoice and how to find peace and how to, to really uh, be you know, um, successful in the Christian life, I'm going to tell you, the Apostle Paul's in prison as he's writing the letter. The Philippians are facing some opposition like probably you and I have never faced. And I'll be honest with you, I'd much rather be living in this day and age and ministering as a preacher in this age than I would have back in Paul's day in pagan Rome. I think I would be much happier to be a church member today here in this Akron area than to be there in Philippi facing the persecution and the difficulties that come as a result of their faith. And yet we see in this passage in the book of Philippians, we see that God gives us good reason. The Apostle Paul gives good reason to rejoice. We noted in the book of Philippians some reasons why believers ought to rejoice. And we talked about the fact that we have the promise. We saw that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when the Bible tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And we are happy and we're excited today to know and recognize that Jesus Christ is not going to give up on us. Oh, we're going to falter and fail at times. We're going to maybe trip up along the way. But he's not going to give up on us. That's a wonderful truth. And that's a good reason to rejoice. We also noted the prize. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the apostle said, but brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we noted that <clears throat> Paul saying, listen, the past has no real bearing on me any longer. It has no real power over me any longer. Not just the bad past, but also the things that I once depended on and once relied upon. Even my, 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 the fact that I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, even the fact that I, I was as good a Jew as there possibly was, that I'd he, heeded the word of God the best I could under Judaism, and yet the fact is I'm no longer looking back to those things. I'm no longer depending on those things any longer. I'm looking to Jesus. And he says, I want to be Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like. We know one day we will be Christ-like. And then he turns to the prospect in chapter 3, again, verse 21. And we said there's another good reason, not only the promise and the prize, but the prospect. I mean, the, the expectation that we have, the Bible tells us there that, that our conversation is in heaven as though we are citizens of heaven. And, and we ought to be a slice of heaven on earth, that people ought to be able to look at our lives and look at our attitudes and see how we respond to circumstance and say, now that's a Christian, that's how to be in heaven one day. But also, he tells us that we're going to have a body like the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful thing that'll be, <clears throat> to have a body like Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it'll be adapted to the heavenlies, it'll be adapted to the, the earthly as well. And then we came to number four, and we've been dealing and addressing this one for a few weeks now. What's another reason why believers should rejoice? Peace. The peace that comes in Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, at Philippians chapter 4 now. And that's kind of where we've been the last three weeks, and now we're going to close this up, this aspect of peace at least, today. <clears throat> peace. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, we read, Be careful for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We began dealing and addressing with this issue of the peace and as a good reason to rejoice. And we noted a couple things about that peace. We noted that peace is found in prayer and praise. Right off the bat in verse 6, six and 7, we noted that. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then he goes on to say, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then we took our our journey a little bit further on into that chapter, and and we noted verse 8, and we found that peace is found in our perspective. And there in the passage again, he reminds us that there's some things we ought to be thinking about, things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and uh, that are a good report, uh, have any virtue or any praise. We're to think on those things. I mean, we live in a day and an age, especially lately, that, I mean, to tell you, you could be overwhelmed with the critical, the negative. Man, you could find yourself hopeless today in the world we live if you're not careful. But boy, we need to learn to think on the right things. We need to focus our attention on the proper things, the things that God's talking about. Peace is found in perspective. You focus and you think about the wrong things, you're going to find yourself with anything but peace in your life. Boy, in the chaotic and just the confusing world in which we live, you better be very, very careful what you focus your attention on. And so we noted that, and we also said, hey, oh, by the way, we said, wait, there's something else. Peace is found in our practice. There we turn to verse 9, and we read, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We recognize that we have a conscience and the Holy Spirit of God works through that conscience and the truth is if when we do wrong, we're going to find that our conscience is, is pricked. We're going to find that our conscience can even become defiled and that our conscience can ultimately even become seared. And so it's so awfully important that we are careful with what we do. That we not only hear it, but we listen to our conscience in a sense. See, guilt's our warning system to change our actions. And if you and I rebel against our Father's commands, we are destined to be tormented by guilt, and that means we're going to lack peace in our life. I want peace, and so do you. And so we learned a couple of things. We recognized in Philippians chapter 4 that, first of all, prayer and praise, that'll bring peace. Our perspective, that'll that'll help us to find peace in our life and our practice. Obedience to the word of God and obedience to our Father, that'll bring 
peace in our life. And today I want to close this particular section up dealing with the fourth one. Turn, if you would, to verse 11. Now, leaning on his fence post one day, a devout Quaker was watching his new neighbor move in next door, and after all kind of modern appliances and electronic gadgets and all this plush furniture and just knickknacks and so forth were moved on into the house, the Quaker looked over and he said, hey, if you find you're lacking anything, neighbor, let me know and I'll show you how to live without it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now listen, that's a mouthful, and let me tell you, there's a lot in that little verse that we just read there. I mean, this concept of contentment is so critical, it is so essential, it is so necessary in the believer's life that the Apostle Paul would address a very similar uh, thought to his son, Timothy, in the faith. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He's saying now, godliness plus contentment is or equals great gain. So he's saying, now listen, and we talked about this already, our practice and, and you think about godliness, I mean, there's some things about godliness that are reflected in our, our actions. We see some of it visibly as well. And so we see here that we, to, 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 you know, we have godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Well, I don't know about you, but I think those things sound like they're pretty important then. I don't know what just happened, but I have done something to my notes. I think it was sabotaged from the last message. <laughs> what in the world just happened here? Okay, slow down, preacher. Oh, there we go. Woo. I'll tell you, this preaching twice in the morning is getting to me. I'm getting delirious here. So I have a question for you then. I got a question for you. I wonder if it's possible to possess an element of godliness without contentment. I mean, I mean can, you, can you bear the mark or the resemblance of godliness by your life and actions and yet still lack contentment? I mean, can you do the right things and still be discontented? Again, I mean, I think about this again, you know, godliness. I mean, some people say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a, a Sunday school class. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm singing in the choir but does that guarantee that you're going to have contentment? Of course not. I, I don't know about you, but I think there are so many lives that are always wishing that they had something else or something more. I mean, it's rare indeed to find somebody that's really content in what they do. I do believe that it's possible, and I think the Apostle Paul is addressing it because it is quite possible to actually have a similitude of godliness and yet, and yet still lack contentment. Again, you can be doing many of the right things and still lack contentment. Content means to rest or, rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Satisfaction which holds the mind in peace. 
restraining, complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implying a moderate degree of happiness. Well, I'm glad at least you can have a moderate degree of happiness. <laughs> Satisfaction which holds the mind in peace, though. Contentment. How important is that? Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, as believers, we're told to be content with what we have then, is what the passage is teaching us. Um, what, what we learn is that, what we learn is that, hold on, let me get back to my notes. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, let, <laughs> yeah. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now again, what we're seeing here then is that the Apostle Paul's trying to express to us that we need to be obviously content with what we have. Now, here's the thing. In the passage, what we have is Jesus Christ. And that is something we need to keep in mind. Because ultimately what he's saying is then in the passage is that Jesus is enough. So the point is, contentment's about recognizing the fact that Jesus is enough. And so, unfortunately, it seems to me today that we are often dissatisfied with our present state and situation. Many people are. It's just the way it is. And, you know, we're not satisfied maybe with our marriages. Maybe we're dissatisfied with our children or our jobs or our friendships. Maybe our financial situation, our houses, our cars, our health even. We're, we're not satisfied with our future prospects or even our day-to-day -day living. We can get to the place where those things just aren't satisfying anymore, where they don't really seem to make us content any longer. Now listen, that dissatisfaction, that should motivate us to work harder than ever it should cause us to work harder than ever to better ourselves and to better our circumstances. But you know, most often it leads to discontentment. Most often we choose to wallow in our own perceived misfortunes. And I'm going to tell you something, as a believer, that's a dangerous place to be. You know, we look around us and we say, boy, I wish my wife was like so-and-so's. I wish we made as much money as so-and-so. I, I wish our children were as behaved as though their children. I wish we were given a particular job, or maybe I wish I had a particular position at church or at work. We often imagine if only we had fill-in-the-blank, then we'd be happy and content. And unfortunately, that's not the case at all. That's not true at all. You know, a story is told of a king who was suffering from a chronic disorder, and he was advised by his, uh, his, his, his um, they say astrologist, but I, I, I don't know. That just sounds kind of crazy to me. How about his uh, counselors? That he'd be cured. Now listen, he was told that he, this chronic disorder, he said, listen, he said, I'm telling you, he, he suffered from a chronic disorder. He was advised by his counselors that he would be cured if the shirt of a contented man were brought for him to wear. Now, can I, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I'm just going to be extremely transparent right now. This isn't a true story. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to let you know, okay? This isn't like, this wasn't really happening. 
You know, because sometimes preachers are like, you know, people are like, oh, those preachers, you know, they're telling those illustrations are not even true, and they act like they're true. I, I'm being transparent. This is not true. So anyway, <laughs> they said that he'd be cured if the shirt of a contented man were brought to him to wear. Well, of course, his subjects went out throughout the kingdom. I mean, all different parts of the kingdom. And they went and searched for that person, that kind of person. And after a long search, they found a man that was really happy. But he didn't possess a shirt. <laughs> the scriptures tell us that Paul learned to be content. He learned to be content. You know, I haven't prayed yet, so let's go ahead and pray, all right? Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, you'd bless the service. We need you. I pray, Father, that you would just uh, calm all distractions. That Father, you'd just help me to be able to focus as well. Lord, may you give us, Father, exactly what you'd have for us. We need you, Lord. This is important business today. And Lord, we'll just thank you. We'll praise you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so when I was a kid, I still remember looking forward to getting some pop. Now, I want you to realize that in the day, back when I grew up, it wasn't as common that you did just didn't get pop. It wasn't like it was in your refrigerator all the time. You know what I mean? At least it, didn't, it wasn't that way at my home, at least. And so, it, I mean, pop was a treat. It was a, it was a special occasion usually, you know what I mean? And that's how it normally was. And, and so I still remember my mom opening a bottle of pop. That's right, you heard me correct. A glass bottle. 16 ounces of pure gold. I mean... I mean, I, 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 mean I, I get it, you know, uh, these cans. You know, it's funny thing, these cans today, you know. I mean, a can of pop, a can of Coke, a can of Pepsi. As I don't know about you, but I'm not really a fan of the can. I grab a hold of one of those cans, you know, and, 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 and I pop it open, and next thing I know, I, I can't control myself. I mean, being so strong as I am, I start to squeeze the can. I can't control it. It just kind of, and it just boils out all over you may not have that problem, but I, I'm not a can fan. And I'm not really a fan. I mean, I like the bottle. I'll be honest with you. I like that plastic bottle a lot better than I like the can. But man, I'm going to tell you what. You get a bottle of pop. Talking about a glass bottle. And I'm not talking about the ones made in Mexico. I'm talking about American-made bottle pop. It does taste different, by the way. If you go down to Mexico or if you go to the Philippines or you go somewhere, the pop's different than it is here in America. It tastes different. That's all there is to it. But then again, I'll take a bottle of, of the pop made in Mexico over a can of pop made in the United States. You say, why do you spend so much time on this? I have no idea. But what I do know is this. I still remember my mom popping the top off that thing, and man, she'd take four cups. She'd set those four cups in front of us kids on the table. She'd start to pour that pop. Man, we'd just be sitting there licking our chops. And she'd do her best to make sure they were all perfectly even. I mean, line it right up. I mean, you know, one of them. And as kids, we're watching. I mean, we're down there looking. And I'm telling you, I'd spot the one that had just a little bit more than the others. I could see it like that. And I remember thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? As soon as she gives us the green light, man, I'm going after that one because that's the one I want right there. It has just a little bit more than the rest of them. And so they turn around and, and she'd give us the green light and I'd go for it. And my brother, he already got his hand on it. 
And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I go, and I'd say, come on, Mom. He's got more pop than I have. He's got more in his cup than I got. And my mom would say, fine. You, if you don't want it, I'll take it. Huh? I didn't say that, Mom. Too bad. Too bad. You want to complain? You want to whine about it? Fine. Hey, by the way, in the day, you weren't allowed to complain and whine. And she'd say, you know what? And this really get me. I mean, this would burn me up. She'd take that cup and she'd go, all right, y'all, put them down on the table. She'd pour the rest of mine into theirs. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You know what she was teaching me? To be content. You don't complain, you don't whine, you just accept what you've got and you be thankful and grateful for what you've got and what you have. Wow. I learned that two years ago. (laughs) But the fact is, is that I learned something and you know what, it's important to learn. Paul said that he learned in whatsoever state he was to be content. I'll tell you, we have to teach our children to be content. And you know, they say more is caught than taught. Therefore, we need to be careful that we are showing them how to be content. That's contentment. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I learned very early on to be content because that's the way it was. I mean, at least in our house, you weren't going to get any if you wanted to complain about it. There's a saying goes like this. It says, I had no shoes and complained until I met a man who had no feet. I think that's a pretty good statement. I had no shoes and complained until I met a man who had no feet. My parents again taught me that no matter how bad it is, it can always be worse. They taught me that all the time. Now, that may not seem very positive today, and, and it doesn't, doesn't really, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like it'd be very productive, at least in the culture we live, and, and that doesn't sound like that's the kind of news that you need to have, you know, a well-rounded well-being in the day and age in which we live, and, and, uh, but you know, I know something? It's so true. It can always be worse. But those kind of teachings teach us something that's so important. It's called contentment. And the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul, godliness with contentment is great gain. I think about the Apostle Paul and his circumstances, his situation. He had to learn, he said, to be content. Do you know when he was was chained to an unsympathetic Roman soldier, Paul was content? When he and his friends were on their way to Jerusalem to deliver a a generous gift from uh, the Gentile converts on the mission field, Paul was content. When he was preaching to either scholars or the most base of crowds, Paul was content. When he was leading a runaway slave to Christ, Paul was content. When he was preaching to a king, Paul was content. When he was writing a theological masterpiece, the apostle Paul was content. When he was waiting to appear before a court that, that would ultimately sentence him to death, Paul was content. When he found himself being hunted by the authorities, Paul was content. 
He had learned to live his life separate from his circumstances. Paul had resigned himself to the reality that his circumstances were all ordered by the Lord and therefore all was well. See, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and of course the apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans obviously under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He said that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And the Apostle Paul lived by that. The Apostle Paul recognized the reality of that statement, and he said, you know what? I recognize that although my circumstances may not be ideal, they may not always be perfect, but the fact is that they are ordered of God, and therefore they are good and acceptable and perfect in my eyes. Listen, it's a hard pill to swallow when tragedy comes in our lives. It's difficult when our health fails us. It's hard when we recognize relationships sort of just deteriorating before our very eyes. But my friend, I want you to understand and I want you to know that whether or not I feel good about it, whether or not you feel good about it, God is still in control. And as our Father, He is still pulling all the strings and He's still in control. And whatever He orders in our life is good. And that's a hard thing to remember sometimes going through the difficult times. Contentment is not something easily reached, especially in the day and age in which we live, in the times in which we live, where so much, I I think I read something about back in 1974, there were 9,000 items in a normal grocery store. And by 1994, 20 years later, I think they said there was almost 30,000. I can only imagine what it's like today the options and the availability of things. And although we've gone through COVID here these last months, the fact is, is that although they, they, people thought we were going to run out of everything, we didn't run out of everything. And although people hoarded certain items, toilet paper I don't get really, but anyway, they, they hoarded certain items. The fact is, is that it was available on our shelves over and over again. Oh, I know, you could go to Sam's Club and you could only one, buy one little, one little, one little thing of chicken tenders. Just one. <laughs> but we still were able to eat. Now, I'll tell you the thing that's bothering me. Can I just tell you? I'm getting sick and tired of the prices going up on meat now. And we're slaughtering our cattle, and then we're going to charge extra. Forget that stuff. I don't get that, man. Please just send one of those cattle over to me. I'll get it dressed out, and I'll eat off of it for a year or more. If it's a whole one, maybe two years. I don't know. Put it in my freezer, and I'm set. Don't kill it. Give it to me. Well, kill it and then give it to me. (laughs) Can you imagine what the shipping would be on one of those? Anyway. (laughs) Paul's peace of mind was only attainable because of his perfect trust in God. You know, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, the Bible says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord. Dr. A.T. Schofield, not, not Schofield, because there's a Schofield Bible. This is a different preacher. He also lived around the turn of the century, uh, the 19th century, which, well, put it this way, he lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. His eldest daughter uh, was just an avid horse fan. She loved horses, and she rode horses. In that day and age, they would call her a, a, a great horsewoman. That's how they would say it, and that's what they said. But she, was, she just loved horses. Well, Unfortunately, while riding one day, she was thrown, and she got a a depressed fracture of the skull upon which no surgeon, nobody would even operate at that time. And unfortunately, some years later, 
after great suffering, she died. A.T. Schofield would go on to say, when my daughter had been ill a fortnight, her nurse came to me and said, and, and she, and said uh, she thought I would like to know that she had become a Christian. I said, why were you, what were you when you came? She said, I was an atheist doctor. I suppose your patient has been speaking to you, Dr. Schofield said. Nope, she never said a word. But she's the only absolutely contented girl I have ever met. And I couldn't understand it. So I asked for her secret, and now I'm a Christian. Boy, contentment plays big on people. It makes an impact in the lives of others even. It looks real good on us as believers. And it impacts and it does encourage and inspire others as well. Like Paul, this woman had learned something. She learned contentment. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'd find it very hard being contented, laying up in a a bed with probably severe headaches all the time, probably migraines off the chart. I can't imagine how her life was lived there after falling off that horse, being unable to get back on a horse and not being able to get the operation or the needed care that would ultimately fix and heal her. But the fact is, is that she died early in life, and yet she found it in her heart and her soul to be content. She learned to be content. She learned because she perfectly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all, that's the only way we're going to ever really truly be content. I wonder, some trust can only be cultivated at the feet of Jesus. I, I didn't plan to do this last service, and I'm not, I didn't this service even, but turn, if you would, to Psalms chapter 73. There we're going to find a man, and, and I'm going to tell you real quick, I think the reason why we struggle with, with contentment in our lives is because, again, we're focused on the wrong things. Let me show you what I mean by that in Psalm chapter 73. We're talking about the need to be focused on the Lord Jesus. Well, unfortunately, if our eyes get off of him, then it's hard to be content. It's very difficult and even impossible. Notice in Psalm chapter 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. How's come you're having a hard time, sir? How's come you're having a difficult time? You're ready to slip. You're ready to fall. You're ready to depart. You're ready to move on from Christ. Why? Why is that possible? How's that possible? He tells us in verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What happened is, is that this particular psalmist, and by the way, his words are immortalized forever in this passage. For eternity we will read Psalm chapter 73. And yet this man, this man whose words are immortalized in the word of God, is given as an example to us how fragile life can be in our own lives, how simple it is to lose sight of what is most valuable and most important, how easy it is to to disregard uh, what God has given us and somehow be discontented. And yet what he did was he focused his attention on the world and on the wicked and and the prosperity of the wicked, and he found himself discontented. 
And yet the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in in Scripture that we are to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. We can choose to look at the world and and the wicked and the prosperity of the wicked, or we can choose to turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. As long as you or I have our focus on the world and on the wicked and on the prosperity of the wicked, my friend, we will never truly be content. And if we are not content, we'll never be at peace. I wonder, have you learned how to face poverty without panicking? I wonder, have, have we learned even how to face sickness? I mean, think about that. How do you face sickness? Have you you got to learn. you gotta, you got to figure it out, and i got to figure it out. Have we learned how to face rejection and disappointment? Have we learned how to face the unknown? How many lives have been wrecked and ruined as a result of adversity in their lives? How many people have looked at God even and shaken their fists and said, why me, God? That, that's just a lack of contentment, obviously, in our lives. Why? Because we fail to keep our eyes on him. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. But you know what? Not just life's adversities, but sadly enough, many have been overcome by life's advancements. Boy, success can go to our heads. If something goes positive, something goes right, then all of a sudden, too, if we're not careful, that can wreck us, too. I mean, I think Joseph is a classic example of both ends of the spectrum. Well, on one hand, we have Joseph, of course, that, that after being uh, mistreated by his brethren, are cast, he's cast into a pit. He finds himself in Potiphar's house, ultimately a prison. But on the other hand, we see him in a palace. On one hand, he, he has nothing. On one hand, he's being rejected. On, the other, on one hand, he's, he finds himself in a position where nobody's there for him and he's all alone on the other, he's in a palace where there's not one thing that he lacks. He went from rags to riches, if you will. And can I just say this? I believe that the reason why Joseph was entrusted with a palace is because he learned to be content in rags, in prison. How many times have we gone around trying to somehow talk about how, well, if I only had this, if I only had that, it'd be fine. I'd be content. I'd be happy. That's not true. It's not true at all. There's a story told of a king who went to his garden one morning. He found everything withered and dying. He asked an oak that's, by the way, this one's not real either. I'm going to fill you in on that. Preacher's not a liar. (laughs) Anyway, this king, he goes into his garden one morning. He finds everything withered and dying. And he asks an oak that stood near the gate what the trouble was. He found that it was sick of life and determined to die because it was not tall and beautiful like the pine 
The pine was out of heart because it couldn't bear grapes like the vine. And the vine was going to throw its life away because it couldn't stand erect and have a, as fine a fruit of, as the pomegranate. And so on and so on throughout the garden. Finally coming to a heart cease. What that is is basically a flower, kind of like a pansy. It's interesting that, that they choose this word on purpose, and the word itself means peace of mind. So the king comes to this heart cease, and the king found its bright face lifted up as full and of, of cheerfulness as ever. The king spoke and said, well, heart cease, I'm glad to find one brave little flower in this general discouragement and dying. You don't seem one bit disheartened. No, your majesty, I know I am of small account, but I concluded you wanted a heart cease when you planted me. If you had wanted an oak or a pine or a vine or a pomegranate, you'd have set one out, so I am bound to be the best heart cease that ever I can. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe in your life you feel you've gotten the short end of the stick. You feel like you bought into the wrong things. You somehow just haven't arrived where you wanted to be. You had great dreams and aspirations and goals for life, but they seem to have fallen apart. Maybe you're young and you're thinking, man, I was supposed to graduate this year, and now all of a sudden I, I missed out on all that fun because of this stupid COVID virus. And I'd say, I'm sorry to hear about the COVID. I'm sorry how it affected you, but let me say this. I don't care what your situation is. It doesn't matter where you stand right now. The fact is, is that you are created being. God made you the way he wanted you to be. And the fact is, the circumstances in which you and I find ourselves are normally the circumstances we ought to be in. We most often create our own problems, and if we don't, God places us there on purpose anyway. And so the fact is, is that we need to understand that if God would have wanted me to be a pine, or God wanted me to be a, 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 a oak, then I'd have been a pine or an oak. But he wanted me to be just a heart cease. He just wanted me to be a little pansy. Oh, that doesn't sound right, does it? Because as you look at me, you can't see that at all. You know what the truth is? It's, that's true with you, too. That's true with you too. Contentment. You got to learn it. Do you know why we're lacking peace as believers so often? Because we're not really content where we're at. Oh, we, we may even have a sense of godliness, a form of godliness. We may be going through the motions. We may be even doing all the right things. And maybe we are praying and reading our Bible. Maybe we are uh, going out soul winning. And, and yeah, we're, we're teaching Sunday school and we're singing in the choir and we're doing all the things that we know or believe we should be doing. But yet there's something missing. It's called peace in our life because we lack contentment because I just don't appreciate where I'm at in life. I don't like my job. I don't like my wife or husband. I can't stand my kids. I'm upset with this, and I'm upset with that, and nothing's going my way. It seems like everybody's against me. My friend, let me tell you something. You better learn to be content, and as a believer, you ought to be content. Why? Because Jesus is enough. closing, I read about Nicholas Ridley. In 1555, Nic Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Jesus Christ. 
On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance or comfort. Nicholas said, nah, that's all right. Instead, he replied, he said that he meant to just go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life. How in the world could you be scheduled to die by being burned at the stake and you could honestly say, that's all right, go home and get some rest. I'm going to sleep as well as I ever have. How's that possible? I'll tell you how, because he knew the peace of God in his life. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that God would meet his needs because where he was is right where God wanted him. And although it may seem to us that that's a very extremely desperate situation and we would never want to see ourselves there or anybody else, the fact is is that God knew where Nicholas Ridley was that night. And Nicholas Ridley knew where God was. I wonder, are you content? I'm not just saying content with certain areas. I mean, in general, overall, are you content? If you lack peace today, I guarantee you that lack of contentment plays a major aspect to that. If you are not content, if you don't feel, uh, listen, again, as I said, if you're not content with something, you're not, not satisfied with something, then let that motivate you. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, no device, nor wisdom, nor knowledge in the grave, whither thou goest. Get out there and work harder. But once you've worked as hard as you possibly can, realize that what God has given you is exactly what you need. And be content with it. Paul, he learned to be content. Until we learn to be content, to accept what God has given us as good enough, we're going to struggle to find peace in our life. We're going to always struggle. I would encourage you to learn to be content. I want to encourage you to say, you know what? My Lord knows exactly where I'm at and what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. And even as the Apostle Paul said that the will of God is, is, see, perfect and I've lost track now. How's that verse start? Anybody know? Chapter 12, verse 2. Acceptable, perfect, and yeah, 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 whatever. I'm getting mixed up now. I've got the Holy Spirit back here helping me and I'm still messing it up. Good and acceptable and perfect. There it is. Thank you. Good, acceptable, and perfect. We get that figured out, we'll be all right. I just want to encourage you to be content. And if you're not, you need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, probably the reason I'm not content is because I want more than what you want for me. If you're not content or you're not satisfied with something and Maybe your marriage, why don't you just work harder at it too? That'd be a good place to start. But let's learn to be content where we're at. Remember those four cups? Remember those? 
God could take it all the way if he wants. We better learn to be content with what God's given us. And we'll find peace in our life. Father, we come to you. We need you. We do ask, Lord, for your leadership and love in our life. We are really in need of you. Help us to see that you are enough. That you're enough. I pray, Father, that you would just grant us wisdom and insight and understanding and help us to be able to evaluate our own lives here, to look deep in our souls and to ask ourselves questions. Lord, I wonder if there's someone even here today or listening even that, well, struggles with contentment. Lord, we're flesh. We all do. We, we all battle with this from time to time. But Lord, help us to be content in whatsoever state we are. And Lord, the only way we do is by learning. Help us to take everything in our life and look at you and recognize that you've been with us the whole way and that you are a good God and that you are wise and that what is in our life is there for a reason. And if we can work harder at something, if we can take steps to overcome things in our lives, that's fine. But there comes a point where we've done our very best and we are left with what you've given us. May we just learn to be content. Otherwise, we will lack peace. Lord, you want that peace, and you are the Prince of Peace. You're enough. Father, bless us in this time. Meet our needs. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.